Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host and I am very excited to be joined on the other line today by one of the most well-known and popular guys in ultra running today and the recent setter of the fastest known time on the Israel National Trail. Uh, He is very well-known for multiple running feats all over the country and the world. He is a multiple-time world record holder, which we'll get into, and he runs for Hoka One One, among other sponsors, too numerous to mention here. Michael Warnian. Mike, welcome to the Pain Cave. Hey, man. Thanks very much. I always like visiting the Pain Cave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm really psyched to have you on. We wanted to talk a, a a little bit today about your recent trip to Israel, to attempt the uh, fastest known time on the Israel National Trail. The Israel National Trail is a hiking trail that is kind of runs the entire length of the country from north to south. It's just over a thousand kilometers, about 630 miles. Uh, the trail's been around for about 25 years. Tell us a little bit about how you, how this kind of came onto your radar. What, what was the kind of impetus for you to attempt this, uh, this fastest known time? Well, it was actually, um, it wasn't on my radar at all. Like Israel was kind of like a blank spot on the map to me. Um, but I was lucky enough to, um, be at a race called the coastal challenge in, um, Costa Rica in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I met, I met a guy named Zoli Bahari, who is an Israeli guy. Um, really charismatic, um, very, um, convincing basically he uh he was sitting on the bleachers at the end of the coastal challenge and he said uh have you ever been to israel i said no (laughs) he said oh you should come i said oh why he said well we have this thing it's uh it's uh basically like an appalachian trail um in israel and it runs the entire length of the country and it it um showcases a lot of the beauty that that is in Israel. And I said, wow, that sounds interesting. Um, but I was a little worried about safety. Um, and he said, dude, that's not even really a thing. And, and, um, I was like, okay, well, um, sounds good. Uh, let, you know, and he was persistent. He kind of followed up with me a couple of times over the summer. Uh, this was like in February of 2018. He followed up a couple of times over the summer Um, I'd always wanted to do kind of a longer event like this. Um, but it's, you know, doing like the Appalachian trail or something is, um, maybe a little bit more than I could sneak away from work for. Um, so, um, something that was, you know, we were thinking we could maybe do it in 10 days sounded like, oh, that, that could be like something that I can maybe um, bite off and, and see how it goes. And then, you know, from that build up to some other stuff. And, uh, we, uh, I had to try to, um, you know, convince my wife, uh, Jennifer and, and our boys that it would be something that, um, would be, you know, w- within what I'm capable of, but also like, um, something that would be safe. So I, in December of 2018, I went and did a race called the high risk ultra marathon. It's a 80 kilometer or like 50 mile race in the hills of Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and got a little feel for what it was like to run in Israel. And then from there we went South and checked out some of the trickier parts of the trail, um, the Israeli national trail. And I kind of fell in love with the country then and, um, kind of got a feel for like, yeah, it's, it's really actually not a thing to be worried about safety there. Right. Um, the other thing I was, uh, wanting to check out was that I would be able to, you know, be able to, uh, find food that I was, uh, going to use for the event. And then also like, just to make sure that I, um, didn't get sick. Right. Um, Cause a lot of the times when you go to places where you haven't been before, um, you know, you, you have exposure to things that you're um, not familiar with and you're, if you're going to try to, you know, run a hundred kilometers a day or like, you know, 50 to 50, high fifties to 65, 70, I think my biggest day was like 75 miles. Like, um, you got to make sure that you can, you know, have stuff that you're, you want to eat and that's not going to make you sick. Right. And so, um, that was a big consideration and, you know, all those things 
when I went in December were kind of like ticked off and um, we were able to, um, you know, get a feel for like when we wanted to try to come back and go for it. And there's a couple of times a year um, when the trail is um, easier to navigate. Um, in the summer, it gets really, really hot. And, sure. um, and in the winter, there's flooding and um, some other, you know, it's, it's, it can be very cold and, and it can be um, a little bit dicey with um, the weather in general. Um, and so, like, we looked at March as, a, as kind of a good time frame where you might get some bad weather, but primarily it's pretty good weather and it's not too hot. And um, so that's why we kind of chose March of 2019 and it seemed like it worked out really well, actually. And when you were over there for kind of your scouting trip in December, Zoli was with you at that point, right? Yeah, Zoli was with me the entire time. So I stayed at his house and, um, and then we... Uh, it, it was funny. We picked up, uh, one of my good friends now, but one of, uh, Zoli's friends, a guy named Uri, Uri, so like U-R-I, mm-hmm. um, and he had just been out in the desert for like four days and we just kind of picked him up on the side of the road, which was <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, it was fun. So we got to kind of share the weekend, uh, after the race kind of running around on the trails. And what was so neat is, um, Zoli, Yuri, uh, a guy named Monty and another guy, um, did the trail three years ago, um, in 24 days, uh, as a group. So like they have a real appreciation for what it takes to do the trail right? and and some of the, the things that you need to be mindful of. And so it was good to kind of have their ideas. Um, and then, and then Yuri and, and Monty and, uh, Zoli and Eris, who was, um, the guy that helped support them when they were on their trip all were part of this uh, journey with me. And so and it was cool. It was a kind of like a reunion for them. And then like, for me, it was just a, a chance to kind of explore something completely new and kind of outside of anything I'd ever done before. Right. So you hadn't, I, so this was outside of your experience in terms of, like you say, a long multi-day project like this. I mean, certainly, with some of the other stuff you've done where you're running on consecutive days, but not in, in a kind of point to point stretch like this. But then also, like you said, this was a new part of the world for you. You had never been there before. You hadn't, you know, um, you didn't have a a religious or a spiritual tie necessarily to the area that, that brought you there. No, but it's, it's actually kind of a magical place. So, uh, I did have, I have a couple, um, spiritual moments for sure um while i was uh, on the trail and actually when i went the first time and so um yeah i'm I'm not a super um religious person one way or the other um but i appreciate i appreciate that you know there's there's stuff going on and and you can definitely feel like some kind of um presence while you're there and so that that i think was really uh, cool. And, and I, I definitely had that a few times during the trip. And, um, yeah, some of the, uh, other things that I was really impressed with that kind of made me want to go back was just how cool the Israeli running community was like Mm -hmm. when I was there in December. And I was hopeful that, you know, they would kind of find what I was doing interesting. And it turned out that that's actually exactly what happened. But, um, you know, I wasn't sure if that was going to happen or not. So, you know, I felt I, I was kind of in the same boat as you in terms of like, I'm a secular Jew. I've been to Israel uh, once before when I was um, shortly after college. And it was it was I found it to be a, a, a really interesting and a fascinating place, but not one that I was really kind of connected to necessarily. And I did at that point, this was, God, I mean, 20, just about 20 years ago, actually. Okay. And, and, and I did feel... I don't want to say unsafe, but, uh, you know, there was this constant kind of presence or or I should say kind of scepter of not violence, but but just tension kind of hanging over the the entire place. And then I was there again uh, with my my family now um, just shortly after you were there in December. And it was much, much. Yeah. And it was it was much different. It was I I mean, the, the there's still a military presence, certainly in the cities, but it's not as kind of overwhelming, I think, as it was, or at least as I felt like it was 20 years ago. There's not, you know, you don't see everyone on the street with a firearm or anything like that. And I really, this time around, as I was, I mean, just like you were saying, I'm not a, a 
terribly religious or, or spiritual person, but um, I couldn't help but feel kind of an attachment to a bunch of different places this time around. It's, it's, it's very uh, overt, but not in an overwhelming way. It's just it, it, it is kind of a deep feel that you get there. I think no matter who you are or, or no matter how um, spiritual or, or religious you might self-identify as, it's, it's hard not to feel you know, move just just by the the scope of the history and and everything else um, that's been going on there for for really thousands of years. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's um, yeah. I don't know if that's like your your predisposition to that, just because uh, you you know that there's history there, or right. you you've learned about it in some capacity. But I definitely feel like there's uh, something going on, and it's pretty cool to. <laughs> to to be there and be able to kind of be receptive to that if you're open to it. So let's talk a little bit about the trail itself and, and your experience on it. The, the record that you were trying to break, I think, was about 15 or 16 days. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that one was really as well documented. So um, there's, there's some people that say, like, yeah, that happened. And other people would say, like, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't. Okay. But we, yeah, we were... Um, we were hoping that uh, we would be under that anyhow, so it didn't really matter what mm-hmm. the previous record was. But, right, right. Um, but yeah, I think supposedly it was around uh, 15 days or so, uh, a guy named Richard Bowles, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of documentation about what he was doing, um, but it sounded like, um, yeah, it was around 15 days or so. Um, but there was another guy named Carlos um, that's uh, an Israeli guy that had done the trail in around 12 days, but it was about a, a hundred kilometers shorter when he did it. So he did kind of a different route. Okay. Um, so anyhow, yeah, I, I mean, either way we wanted to kind of be uh, as fast as we could be and, and not really. Um, and, and so you started in the South, about... <laughs> sorry, you yeah. started in the South, you were heading North. So you started down by a lot, which is down uh, kind of right <laughs> on the Red Sea at the Southern, Southern tip of Israel. <laughs> Um, Correct. And yep. so, so the terrain down there is, it's a lot of desert. It's a lot of, um, I, I mean, what they call their, uh, uh, Maktesh or the craters, which are kind of like these big, deep canyons. Um, yep. that to me, that's my favorite. Th- those, those are the, the favorite trails that I found, uh, when I was in Israel was down, um, around the, the Ramon Maktesh, the Ramon crater, uh, yeah. just beautiful, beautiful, uh, like really lunar kind of landscapes. I mean, it's like the Grand Canyon on a small scale. And then these, there's all these really cool trails sneaking through it. Um, yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's magical. And then there's like slip canyons and, and pool water pools because they were actually at like 130% of their annual rainfall. So Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of water in the desert. Um, and, and we were there just when everything was kind of in bloom. So there was, flowers and and just cactus and and all kinds of things that were um greening up the place which made it uh even more beautiful um but also surreal because you are on these like completely harsh landscapes um, right and it's a lot of climbing (laughs) like it's a lot a lot of up and down and um super technical trails um so um not quite the fastest running in general but some of the most stunning running I've done anywhere in the world. Yeah, it was really beautiful down there. Yeah, it, it's it's by far one of the nicest deserts I've ever been in. <laughs> it uh, is. I mean, it's 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 unbelievably beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what were some highlights and lowlights? Did you have any down periods or any uh, issues uh, root finding or problems with local <laughs> culture or anything like that? Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, the route finding was just unbelievably challenging. Like it's, um, uh, it's pretty hard to, to locate. I, I'm sure you're probably aware, but there's, um, the way that they mark the trail in Israel, especially the Israeli national trail, it's a three stripe. Um, so there's orange for desert, blue for the sea and white for the snow. Mm -hmm. And it depends which direction you're going, which which way the blaze is. So if orange is on the bottom that and blue is in the middle and white's at the top, that means you're headed northbound. Mm-hmm. And then it's the inverse of that. So if snow is at the bottom, blue is at the middle, and orange is at the top, that means you're headed southbound. Right. Um, and you're supposed to be able to see 
from one marker, you're supposed to be able to see the next marker, but that's actually not how it works. <laughs> that doesn't work out most of the time. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, and so the route finding is really challenging, especially because um, they did have so much rainfall. So there's like um, bushes and shrubs and places where there aren't normally bushes and shrubs. And so <laughs> the markings are obscure uh, if they're even there. And then, you know, with rainfall and stuff, the markings get washed off. Um, and then what they do is they use um, the local trail system to augment the painting of the Israeli National Trail. So sometimes you'll be on the Israeli National Trail, but then you'll also be on a local trail, which will have different markings. Um, so you have to figure out uh, which trail you're supposed to be on and which markings are applicable. And then a lot of times, for some reason, and I don't know why, um, they don't mark the turns. So, um, <laughs> so they don't mark the turns actually until you get way like a like a kilometer past where the turn is, and then they'll be like, "Oh yeah, we didn't mark that." Here's a, <laughs> and so like um, yeah, it just it it just made for very slow going and a lot of going backwards to go forwards type stuff, but you know, that's, that's a challenge that you take when you do one of these things. And, uh, even what's interesting is even if you have like the GPS route on your phone or on your watch or something, um, sometimes the GPS route isn't updated. And so like, right. it's not the actual trail. And so sometimes you'll go like a kilometer or two and you'll be like, Oh, now I see the marking. So then you have to go back a kilometer or two to go forward because you want to be on the right route. So, right, yeah, right. that that was by far the hardest thing, I think, was just um, knowing where to go and making sure you're on the right trail and you're heading in the right direction. Um, and then just kind of being okay with being lost a lot, um, right. which is kind of infuriating when you're trying to go as far as you, you know, possibly like you've ever gone in your life and then you're adding, you know, miles going the wrong way. Um, yeah, it makes it, it makes it tough mentally, but... Um, I think that's a big part of the challenge. And I mean, I think, uh, anybody that is going to try to try to better the, the time that I put down is going to have the same issues. So, right. um, you know, it's, and, and I definitely wouldn't have done as well if, if I didn't have the Israeli community coming out and supporting me because there was like at points, like 12 of us trying to find where to go. And <laughs> we're all like, I don't know where to go. So like, <laughs> like we, we were working as a unit, you know, like, okay, you guys go that way for a little bit. I'll go this way. And, you know, if you, <laughs> if you see something, yeah, if you see something holler. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I got, I got really lucky that, um, everybody kind of took me in and, and helped me to achieve this. Yeah, following online, it. I mean, Zoli did a great job of setting up, you know, Facebook groups and and updating during the day, and and uh, there were some great pictures of of you and uh, different runners who would come out from the community to to join you and, like you were saying, kind of help you route find and everything else. It was, I mean, with all that support, was there any time? Because from following from afar, from thousands of miles away, it it seemed like things were going fairly smoothly. And like you were, you know, you were hitting most of your, your targets, uh, each day in terms of distance. And, you know, was there ever a point during this where you, you thought maybe it wouldn't happen or, or, you oh, know, yeah. it looked in danger or, or <laughs> did it, was it all just pretty seamless? No, no, no. There was definitely a, a lot of times where, um, where it was difficult. And there was in particular, I think it was day eight where, uh, I got, I had to cross, um, a few water crossings, but one in particular where the water was up to like my, um, uh, my sternum and oh, I God. got, yeah, I, I got super cold. Like, um, uh, when I hit the beach, it's, a uh, called Puleg beach, I think where they do like kite surfing and, um, they fly kites and the wind whipping off the, the ocean there, That's uh, just caught, along the Mediterranean there. So you're like yeah, north, exactly. north of Tel Aviv yeah, up there. Yep. Exactly. North of Tel Aviv. Uh, caused my temperature to just drop and I just couldn't regulate my body temperature at that point and uh, I had to sit in a chair for like 45 minutes and I was having like hallucinate like wow hallucinating uh, like seeing like a school bus with like these like um, <laughs> like heart-shaped uh, headlights and I was just like what the heck oh, is going on <laughs> And, and I just like, I was like, but luckily, I mean, I've done so many races at this point, like mm -hmm. I had experience with like 
um, you know, feeling like that. And I just put in some calories. I ate like five sandwiches and drank some, some stuff and, and was able to kind of just, and I put on like three jackets and gloves and a hat and I just sat there for like 30 minutes. And then eventually I said, I got to get up and keep moving forward. And, um, I didn't know how that was going to go. I mean, I, I, at that point I thought, wow. I, and it wasn't like I was close. I still had like 250 or 300 kilometers to go. Like it was like, <laughs> like, it wasn't like, Oh, I just got to make it another five hours. <laughs> right. Like I got to make it like another three days, you know? And so like, um, but I think that's kind of like life in general is like, sometimes things look really bleak and, um, you're, you're not, you know, in the best shape and, and everything's kind of against you and you're hurting and, and you got to figure out, you know, how to, how to be able to continue to move forward. And, you know, what's crazy is like 20 minutes later, I was like feeling better. And then, you know, 40 minutes after that, I was like running hard and, um, I was able to kind of fight through it. And so like, um, I think so many times you just got to, um, you got to keep moving forward and yeah. good things will happen. Yeah. Uh, where were you sleeping? I know you had a lot of van support and looked like you guys had like <laughs> yeah. a, a four by four, but were, were you staying in hotels or houses or were you just sleeping in the van? Yeah, we didn't stay in a single hotel. So, um, it, we, um, we crashed, I think three or four nights in tents. Uh, a couple nights people were nice enough to like, uh, like a, there was a guy, Jerome, who actually ran with me like 125 kilometers oh, wow. and, about 18 hours like it was his longest day ever in his life both as far as time and distance and we finished and we're both like wrecked and then he like let us stay at his house with like a very small kid so like <laughs> uh it was he's like just such a badass he and his wife and family so like yeah i gotta make sure i give him a big shout out it was it was amazing um so one night we stayed at his house another time we stayed at a guy named david's house who's a mushroom farmer and he just had one of the most incredibly cool, um, families. They were, there were two boys, there were tennis players and then his wife. Uh, but they like made us food at like midnight and like, uh, woke us up at like four o'clock in the morning to get back on the road and, uh, let us take a shower. And, um, then there was another guy named Monty who let us have, stay at his house. So I guess we stayed at like three people's houses, camped three or four times, and then one one night we stayed in a running store, um, which was cool, <laughs> called Runway. It was really awesome. Like the guys are super cool, and it's like I actually talked there when we went in December, and so it was fun to go back. But yeah, I slept in like the the changing room, uh, which was cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was kind of like yeah, we just kind of made it work, and yeah, we 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 definitely. Um, uh, the, the goal was like if to try to stay as close to the trail as possible and you know, sure. if you could camp right next to the trail, that's actually ideal. But you know, a lot of times that didn't work out. Right. Right. So would you do something like this again? I mean, maybe not this specifically, but are, do you have a taste for the, uh, kind of multi-day epics now or are you going to go back oh, to for sure? Man. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I love that kind of stuff. Like it was for me, it was an evolution and it's something that I continue to uh, want to explore and um yeah I, I loved every every moment i mean you know obviously not not feeling great at certain times and certain days was not awesome but like i don't know if there's anything better than you know doing what you love and then having people be a part of it and i think the coolest thing for me was just like i i was you know out there doing my thing but like people were uh, coming out and to support it and then those people in turn like became friends uh with i i became friends with a lot of the people that came out just because they were out there so often but also like they uh in turn like the israeli community in general just became closer because of it and so like i hope that if i continue to do these things i can kind of i've had that experience with doing some fkts around my house here in dc like the dc running communities really come out and supported those events and, right um, what's cool about it is like, you know, people that might not know each other beforehand, like all of a sudden are, you know, standing around at an aid station or waiting to crew or pace or, or just to like hang out and see it happen. Like all of a sudden those people start talking and then 
relationships form and also you see like people inspired to do something like more than they've done in the past and like I think that's the greatest thing I mean like people are asking me what my favorite part of the trail was and I'd say it's bringing people together and like having people um you know go out and explore their own local trails and community and and their country like I it was cool to just hear so many of the people in Israel say like wow I didn't even know that section of the trail was there or right. I can't wait to explore that part and I even had people that were like in their local trails like but they hadn't run that section of trail or something and they're like dude this is only like 20 minutes from my house I didn't even know this was here and like that to me was really cool it's just people um being able to do something they might not normally do um, but also like learn something about their community in the process. Yeah, watching it from afar, I mean, it seemed right. Like you're saying that the community really did come out and support it. And there were pictures every day of you with, you know, some on your own, but, but with uh, a whole bunch of people around you at times. And I mean, certainly I think that would be super helpful in terms of finding your way. And, and like you say, it's, it's exciting to build the community, but you know, I, I kind of we saw this a similar kind of thing when Scott Jurek was setting the the record on the AT a few years ago, and and as it as he kind of got further and further north, and and the word was spreading, and and people were kind of coming out and meeting him, and it started out just you know one or two here or there, and then you know you'd see a picture of him with three or four runners, and then you know by the time he got through New York and near to us here, you know he was crossing the Bear Mountain Bridge with like thirty people in tow, and yeah, you know to me that that seemed like a double edged sword, like. I think it, it, it's got to be uplifting in some ways to, to have that support and to, you know, be able to feed off the energy of other people, too. But at the same time, in something like that where you're, you know, you're working so hard and your days are so long and, you know, you need to draw on your own strength so much. I mean, all of those people, they're not they're lending you support, but in in some way they they're they're looking for something from you as well. Right. Like they're getting something out of this also. And they're they're, you know. I don't want to say sapping your energy, but but there's a little bit of emotional energy that you need to put into that relationship as well, you know. And and you, I think you and Scott are very similar in that you're very you're both very um, public faces of the sport, and you're very op- open and welcoming. And you know that's why you you guys have both been such great ambassadors for the sport. But does that ha- having all those people around when you're doing something that is so kind of intensely personal in a way is that is there a downside to that, that, that you feel like you have to kind of feed back some of the energy they're giving you? Does that take anything out of you, uh, in the day to day? Um, I mean, that may just, that may just be me interpreting it that way, just as a weirdo. I don't know. No, not at all. I mean, I think there is definitely some give and take. Um, but I think that I definitely, for me, and it was cool because the people that were coming out were actually really cognizant of that. And so they said like, Hey dude, if you, if you want to put music in or you want to be alone or you know you just you want to you know you don't want me to talk it's cool oh so and they so recognize like, that up front yeah okay exactly. and and so like um but i always you know try to engage and and be um because i was as interested in learning their story as they were about learning my story and right so like a lot of times it was a lot of the same questions like because you know <laughs> even in the same day you get you know somebody that runs with you for five or six miles and then the next group starts five or six miles after that right you know they have the same questions that the people (laughs) before did but for me it's i mean it's worth it like it's worth it um because i really enjoy those interactions and each time you you um start that dialogue with somebody or a conversation like you learn something more about um the community and the people and you know, why they're there and, and, you know, what motivated them and, um, you know, where they came from and what their background is and what race they have coming up. And a lot of times you see like commonalities, like a lot of the people that were coming out to support me had a, a race called peak to peak, like last weekend. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, it was like for them, they're like, Oh man, I shouldn't run this far cause I'm tapering, <laughs> but, but I can't help myself. And it was like, awesome. Like, yeah, you know, that, they were willing to, you know, take time off of work and away from family and to make those kind of sacrifices and just jump in a car with like three random strangers they hadn't met before and drive two and a half, three hours through like rush hour traffic to, you know, run with me for 10K. Like the least I could do is hang out with them. Like, right. I mean, it's, it's amazing, like that they would even do that. And 
um, I felt completely honored. So like, yeah, for me, it was not a drain at all. It was just part of the experience. And like, I, I felt so appreciative that, you know, anyone would find it interesting in the first place and then let alone be a part of it. Right, right. Well, as if running a thousand kilometers through Israel, that would have made most people's years. But of course, that's just one entry in the Mike Wardian calendar for 2019. Before this, actually, you finished for the second time the Seven Continents Challenge, which is seven uh, marathons on seven continents in seven days. And this was the second time you've done this, despite, you know, you went back despite, uh, I think, the first time around setting the record for that challenge and winning all seven races. What? Yeah. What uh, what drew you back to do this again? Was it simply like that the opportunity kind of presented itself and you said it was great last time, let's do it again? Or was there something that you, something more that you wanted to get out of it that, that you said you needed to go back and do this a second time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's um, the World Marathon Challenge. And um, yeah, it's seven marathons, seven days, uh, seven continents. And the, yeah, the first time it went really well. I mean, I... But there were definitely things where I was like, oh, I, I could have improved, like I could have slept more, I could have, you know, been a little faster here or there. And so I thought, wow, it'd be cool if I ever got the opportunity um, to go to say yes. And that opportunity kind of presented itself uh, through Richard Donovan and the team. Like there was a spot that was available and um, they're like, hey, would you want to be a part of it? And I was like, heck yeah, of course. Uh, and the first time I had thought about doing three marathons at the end to try to set the 10, 10 day marathon world record. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I couldn't do that cause it finished in Australia. But, uh, one of the things that drew me to the world marathon challenge in 2019 was that the route was different. Uh, it was, a, and we got to run on a different part of Antarctica, which, um, I'm completely smitten by Antarctica. Like I want to, yeah, you've been there a bunch things. of times, huh? Well, I've been there twice, and um, I, I definitely want to, like, one of my dreams is to run across Antarctica. So, um, <laughs> like, I, I want to go back and, and, you know, spend some more time there for sure. Um, but this was an opportunity to kind of get back to Antarctica. But also, I really thought the route was really cool. And so, like, um, Cape Town's one of, one of my places that I've always enjoyed going to. And then uh, I'd never been to Perth, Australia, and I'd heard great things about it. And so I thought, wow, that's an opportunity to go to Perth. And then uh, it's always fun to run in Dubai. And then uh, Madrid, we got to run on a Formula One track. And so, like, I thought, wow, that would be really cool. Um, and so the venues were different. Um, I think the venues were actually, like, a little bit more challenging this year. Just um, the the courses were uh, tougher than the first time I did it. Um so the times I, I put down were a little slower, but, um, but I had, I had an amazing time and I, I really loved the group this time. Like the first time the group was amazing. And, um, I think anytime you're, um, doing something like this, the group that you're with and cause you're basically like spending, you know, 10 days with the same people and, right. uh, having, having a really nice group of people to do that with is super special. And, and you get to, you know, you're in tight quarters, so you get to like kind of know everyone pretty well. And, right. Um, that's that's something I really enjoy. And, and that's one of the cool things about these type of events is the opportunity to kind of connect with people on a deeper level. Um, I don't know. I guess that goes into the same thing I was saying about Israel. But um, for me, that's that's a really nice um, side benefit. And to me, it seems like the hardest thing about, I mean, not that the running a marathon a day in sub three hours isn't difficult, but to me, it seems like the harder thing even is the logistics and the recovery and just, you know, dealing with the travel and, and you know, you finish a race and, and two hours later, you're hopped on a plane and you got a six hour flight or whatever it is. It, it seems like that's the part that wears on you the most. Uh, that's definitely a part that's super challenging for people. And for me too, I mean, that's, that's something that, um, you know, a lot of people have issues with trying to like deal with, um, the recovery, but also like just the showing up every day, uh, and your body being in a different place. So I think one of the biggest things that I wasn't, um, prepared for, but I knew about for the second time was, um, that, you know, you may be running in, you know, negative 10 degrees or 20 degrees. And then the next day it might be, 95 100 degrees and your body is like wait we were just it was just freezing cold and now all of a sudden it's 
like scorching hot and like how do you regulate the temperature and you and you only have like an hour or so once you hit the ground so your body doesn't really have much time to get acclimatized to where you are and then a lot of people have trouble with like the jet lag with just going from one place to another place and sometimes you're on the plane for like 22 23 hours right um, and then you're you know having to get off and then get out and start running and right. so like um you know that's I'm, I'm pretty fortunate and I don't require a ton of sleep. And so like, um, that's something like I'm trying to be get, get better at, but that's something that I'm, you know, not particularly amazing at, but I still seem to be able to recover even if I'm not sleeping, but just kind of have my, have my feet up or I'm in just in a, in a easier position. Um, so like, that's something that I think is, um, one of the things I'm, I really, uh, excel at um but it can be challenging for people i mean the running is also it's a lot of miles for a lot you know for most everybody that's sure. like 183 miles so it's it's a lot of running right um, right how has your recovery process changed as you've gotten older because i mean you've been at this for a long time and you know famously very prolific in terms of the amount of racing and the amount of travel has it has it gotten harder for you as you've you know kind of gotten into your 40s or you know do you, have you had to add any kind of modalities or anything to to speed your recovery along um i think it's actually i feel like i'm actually better at it now than i've ever been really and i yeah and i and i think that um i i, I like to think like a lot of that is just because i'm careful about what i put into my body and i'm, I'm mindful of that um but also i think probably in the last two years since I worked, started working with a guy named Jesse Fuller. He's a personal trainer. He's uh, really helped me with um, my strength and mobility and conditioning. And so like, I think having that kind of well of um, strength uh, to draw from has, has, done, has made a big difference with me being able to recover. Like I always felt like I was pretty good at it, but now I feel like it's kind of like a, uh, something that's like a superpower, which is awesome. Like just to have that. Yeah. I've seen some of the posts you put on uh, social media with some of the workouts you've done with Jesse. They look pretty intense. How often are you like in there working on strength and core stuff? Uh, so with Jesse, I work two times in person uh, a week for uh, about 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I do stuff on my own, probably 15 or 20 minutes every day. Um, some days more, some days less, but I'd say on average about 15 to 20 minutes worth of stuff. And a lot of that times it's like stuff that I do while I'm doing something else. So like I'm brushing my teeth and like stretching my calves or, um, <laughs> you know, waiting, you know, on a phone call and, you know, doing some type of mobility or in a position to like, um, like a squat position or something. Um, or like I'm at an airport and I'm just waiting for a plane. And so I'm doing push-ups and dead bugs and, and that kind of stuff where you can kind of sneak off into a corner and look like a freak for 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're good. You've done your work. Right. So, so I think like having that, um, kind of in your back pocket, I think has, has made me a better athlete and allowed me to recover even better. Right. Right. Again, you're, you're a famously prolific racer, certainly running a bunch of, shorter races to keep speed up and and I think just a, a fun way to kind of get your speed work in in terms of doing like local 5k's and 10k's and that sort of thing but you do you know more marathon and ultra marathon races in a year than I think most uh, elite athletes do do you have a For sure yeah do, yeah do you use a lot of those kind of as training stimuli in order to kind of peak for the bigger ones or are are they all more or less you know, max level efforts? A lot of times they build on themselves, but each effort is kind of unique. And I'm definitely trying to push my hardest in every single event. And right. so like, I think that actually works out well when you're doing something like an FKT or uh, a stage race or uh, back to back races. Mm -hmm. is, um, to, and it's weird, like, because you don't think that it should work that way. You're like, Oh, I have a race tomorrow. I should, you know, take it easy today. And, um, that just usually means that you do worse at both races. When I've tried to do that, it just doesn't work out as well as just running as hard as you can for the event that you're at and right. then figuring out how to, 
how to bounce back from that. Right. Um, so usually I just try to go as hard as I possibly can. And cer- um, certainly building up that, like you say, that tolerance and that experience helps in like, right, long multi-day races or, or FKT kind of attempts. You know, but like, like I said, you've been at this for a really long time. I mean, I, I first, you were first on my radar when you went by leading the, uh, the U.S. Olympic trials in 2007 in the marathon. Um, right. And we were just like, who's that guy with the long hair? Uh, so you've been, yeah. doing, you've been doing this for, you know, 12 years more, uh, probably close to 15 at, at a super high level. Do you ever yeah. wonder, you know, if, if your approach had been different and not to, I don't, I don't want to say like I'm second guessing you or anything like that, but do you ever, do you ever get the, the, or do you ever question like, oh, if I race less, I wonder, you know, if, if I could have peaked more for, you know, specific races here or there. I mean, maybe not Doug Curtis, who was, you know, used to run like a sub 220 every month. And people would say, well, if you only ran three yeah. a year, you'd run 212. And he'd say, no, I'd run 225. This is just how it, it works for me. I mean, were you, were you more like that? Or, <laughs> yeah, or? like Doug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's still the record holder at Big Sur, actually, I think. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, and, and it he's, was, he's amazing. And cl- that was like a week after he ran like 213 or something. Of course, like, of course. He was like clockwork. Yeah. It was ridiculous. But, uh, you know, he was yeah. convinced that, you know, you know, racing less, training more, peaking more, whatever was, I mean, he, he had had experience with that too. And he knew that that's not how his body responded best. And, and he knew just a hard you know, really kind of max, more or less max effort every couple of weeks was, was the way that it worked for him. Is that kind of what you found? Did you fall into this kind of naturally? Um, yeah, for me, I, I kind of fell into it right away. Like when I first started running in 1996, um, 1997, I did my, I, 96, I did my first, um, Marine Corps, 97, I did, my first Boston and then I decided to do all the big races and I'd just be done with running. So I did like <laughs> Chicago Marine Corps, New York city. And then I heard about the JFK 50 miler and I just didn't think you could run that far. I just was like, that's just not true. Um, so I signed up and I was like, I'll see if you can or not. And, uh, and I realized like I, I got stronger and, and well, first of off, everyone told me like, you're crazy. You're going to get hurt. You can't run that many races all together. Um, and I was like, well, I'll see, you never know. Uh, and each one, I got stronger than the other one, the previous one. Right. And I was like, wow, like, I don't know why, but this is kind of working for me. Um, and so I just kind of stuck with it and, um, and it really has, I mean, yeah, I've always had people say like, dude, you should just only do one race a year or two races a year, like right. the pros, you know, like a spring marathon and a fall marathon and you'd be like a 210 or a 212 guy. And um, I always think like, wow, that's a lot of eggs to put in one basket. Right. And um, and that's a lot of opportunities not to do other things that you want to do. Right. And so so for me, like, I'd rather do every, I'd rather take advantage of every opportunity that's out there. And if that means that I don't run 212, like, okay. But I don't think it's going to, I, I don't know if if I did only focus on, you know, the marathon that maybe I wouldn't have ever run the 50K World Championships or the 100K right. World Championships or I, I don't like I don't know if for me, like I would have had the motivation to like, I don't know if it would have stayed fun. And if it's not going to be something that I enjoy and, and that I get a benefit from, then I don't think I would still have the same passion for it. And I see so many people that and fell into that, you know, just doing one or two races and maybe they don't have the day they want. Or a lot of times like the weather isn't mm-hmm. the, the way, I mean, like if you had put all your eggs into the Boston marathon last year, like mm-hmm. that would be terrible. Like you, you never know what's going to happen on the day. And um, right. There's so much you don't and, control. Right. And like, that's not to say that that's a wrong strategy. Like, I mean, I think it's awesome that people that uh, have the ability to kind of focus like that and, and have the, and cause eventually you're going to have the day that you want. Um, and you know, and that's amazing. And those people, um, are just doing it in a different way. And I think everyone has the ability to kind of define what they feel is success. Right. And so like, I, I don't want to be defined by what other people think is successful. Like as long as, as long as I'm, um, 
continuing to evolve as an athlete and continue to enjoy it and uh, able to do the things I want to do, then to me, that's, that's success. And so like, maybe it's not a 212 and maybe I'll be stuck at a 217.49 PR forever. But, um, you know, that was a couple weeks after I'd, <laughs> I'd run, uh, you know, I'd ran that right before I, I ran Badwater and finished third, you know? So like, <laughs> it's, it's like pretty incredible, like that, uh, your body allows you to do these things. And so, um, I don't know. I, I, I've been really happy with the way that, um, I've been able to kind of navigate, um, staying motivated and still being super passionate about the sport. Yeah. And, and I think that that's really what it comes down to is, um, is like, I still love it. I love all the aspects of it. I love the training. I love the, the working with the sponsors. I love, uh, being involved in the communities that I'm in. I love, um, doing the group runs. I love doing the volunteering. I love, um, the racing. I love like the, the, the travel. I love, I love it all. And like, I, I don't, I've never lost that enthusiasm for it where yeah. I know a lot of people that, um, you know, do it differently. Haven't maybe been able to kind of keep that fire going. And, um, you know, so until I don't start getting the results I want, then, um, or I'm not having the time that I want to have, or it's impacting like my other responsibilities, then, um, you know, I'll probably keep doing it the way I have been. Yeah. And that's something that's clear, you know, following you, uh, on, on social media or, or your results and everything else. And, uh, you know, your, your enthusiasm for it and your, your joy for it has never really wavered. And I think that's why, like you say, you've, you've, you've had so many good relationships with sponsors because they see that, that you're really invested in it and you know they're obviously getting a return on it and and i think because it, it feels authentic and it feels genuine i think that's why you continue to be such a a great ambassador for the sport you mentioned oh, thanks oh yeah sure <laughs> you mentioned the travel and I, I just i did want to ask you a little bit about that because obviously you know that that can be a, a strain and and exciting too but you know you do you do a lot of travel alone and and you do a lot with your family as well um and yeah. uh, as somebody with kids, uh, kind of a similar age to to your kids, I've always found it, you know, kind of uh, a little bit, a little difficult for me traveling two races with the family. Uh, it's great having them there, and it's great having the support. But at the same time, it it uh, I I've, I always feel You're a little bit of pressure. Dad, yeah. yeah, I yeah. feel I feel pressure to to <laughs> to make sure that they're having a good time and that that they're getting something out of the trip as well. And and you know it's not the most fun thing in the world for them to you know sit around a course for eight, ten, or twelve hours or whatever it is. So I, I a lot of times I feel like if I really want to race my best, it's it's better when they stay at home. Do you run into that at all? Is it is it a, a do you see a negative side of traveling with the kids? And how do you mitigate that if you do? Um, I, well, I know where you're coming from and, uh, yeah, it's definitely, especially when the kids are younger <laughs> yeah. and you're, and you're lugging like strollers and pack and plays. <laughs> yes, and, exactly. Right. And when, diapers who's sleeping where and, and, and like, right. and butt paste and all that kind of stuff that <laughs> needs to go. Well, butt paste, <laughs> butt, butt paste goes in, in the, uh, the drop bag anyway for chafing. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I already have well, butt paste. Or, well, I'm just, I'm just leaving them up with squirrels nut butter, you know, like now. <laughs> Um, but, well done. Well done. Product yeah, placement. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's of course. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's always that risk that, you know, it, I mean, that's part of what you sign up for when you're a parent, right? right? Like you, and so like, I would rather have them, uh, with me as much as I can and I really want to share the world with them. And so I think one of the things that Jennifer, my wife and I are most proud of is that you know, our boys have already been to like 19 countries and they're 12 and 10 <laughs> right. and, like, and they have friends all over the world and, uh, have gone zip lining in, uh, New Zealand and, uh, seen the great barrier reef and, um, been all over the U S and, and know what it's like. They know what Patriots day is, you know, they, right. they've stood on the corner and, and gotten hot chocolate. And, um, you know, I try to make it as, uh, nice for them as possible. And like, I don't really have them crew me at any of the events because mm -hmm. that, that is basically, yeah, a nightmare for kids to like stand there. And then 
they've been there for four hours and they see you for five seconds and right. then you've gone again. And when they do see you, you're like a zombie or something like, <laughs> you know, that's not awesome. Um, but like, it is great to have them there and it's a boost for me. And, um, and I want it to be fun for them. And we try to make it like, uh, educational and, and something that, you know, they, they have places they want to go to. And so it's cool for them to like, be like, yeah, we want to go to China. And so like, you know, we, have their input into where we want to kind of be. And I think for kids and, and for people in general, like travel is a great way to, to expand your horizons and really get a feel for sure. uh, everything else that's out there in the world. And there's, you know, many different ways to do things. And just because that you see things done a certain way where you are, doesn't necessarily mean that's the best way to do it. And so, um, you know, I think that just exposing people to as much uh, different cultures and places and, foods and environments and uh transportation options and and all those things just makes for a more well-rounded person and you know hopefully we can continue to do that with our family and um you know we're lucky to have the support of um people that find what we're doing interesting and and i'm so thankful for that a couple of final questions for you what's your favorite of all your world records oh man (laughs) um (laughs) uh I don't know. I'm probably the next one, man. So like, um, you know, I, I, I think my favorite is one when you've got the paperwork done. Like I'm still trying to do the paperwork with, uh, the 10 days, 10 marathons and 10 continents. My wife's been helping me with it too. It's just, it's just a lot of paperwork. Yeah. Man. So like, uh, it'd be awesome if like, I think, uh, it'd be great to do a marathon or, a marathon world record at London where like the Guinness world record team is there. So you just automatically get the certificate and you don't have to do all the paperwork. <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely something that would be awesome. Like, uh, so I'll have to, I'll have to maybe try to get into London and set a world record doing something just so I don't have to do the paperwork. Who is a better lacrosse player, you or Debo? Oh dude. Uh, we actually practiced, uh, before Western States a couple of years ago, we went and threw around and then, um, uh, Patty and I also threw around after Western States. Um, I don't know. Debo's, I, I never got to see him play, but I, it looks like he's probably pretty good. If, if yeah. He says he's better. As, yeah. I'd say <laughs> like if, if he's half as good at lacrosse as he is at running, he's probably better. Um, uh, <laughs> But I don't know. I think I might be able to take him one-on-one. I, I took him a couple times, but um, I, I think it'd be fun, man. I was actually talking to a guy yesterday that um, that I'm thinking about working with, and he was a lacrosse player, and I definitely would not want to go against him. He would just destroy me, this guy David. He's a super cool guy, but, yeah, man, he looked like a big dude. He would just be able to pick <laughs> me up and slam me to the ground, <laughs> steal the ball. <laughs> Mike, before I let you go, we have to play the game that I play with all my guests. It's called, you're my age, you probably remember Desert Island Discs on the radio. We're going to play Desert Island Picks. I'm going to send you to a desert island for a year. You get to bring one book, one album, one food, and one beer. What's going with you to a desert island for a year? Oh, wow. Okay, so it starts with uh, one one, book. book. Ooh, I guess I'd want a really long book. Sure. But, ooh, you know, uh, probably... um, like the biggest dictionary ever, like the biggest (laughs) dictionary. Cause like, I have like an affinity with word. Like, like I always get like the word of the day. And by the end, I'd probably be like, no, every single word. All right, Uh, there you go. So you're going to use the time to better yourself. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. You would probably be able to like know every word. Yeah. Um, and you know, like all the different ways to say you're hungry and tired (laughs) and like hot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah or maybe like yeah maybe if it had like a thesaurus in it too like um oh okay where you, you can like learn about all the synonyms yeah and like a, a grammar one uh <laughs> yeah yeah i i think that would be really interesting yeah okay one album one album it's funny i just did a uh a q a for like a music thing and it's really funny because i was like um it's really interesting because you think like okay, if I say this, people are going to think of me a certain way, right? right? right. If I say this, and it's almost like, I was joking, but my wife used to watch Friends, and 
of course, like, I guess like I, I watched it in turn also. Sure. Um, but there was one where they were asking, I can't remember Monica or something like, what's your favorite movie? And she was like, it's, I don't know, Pride and Prejudice. And they're like, okay, what's your real favorite movie? And it's like zombie apocalypse. <laughs> um, no, but you're right. I Music like, is, it's, it's, it's very personal, but also right. It, it, like it carries all these connotations and you know, how you view yourself, how other people view you, like what you like is it's very tied up in identity, right? Right, exactly. And what's weird is like, I have like a pretty eclectic mix of like what I'll listen to. And so I guess if you just had to, like, I don't even like, do people even buy albums anymore? Cause you no. just kind of have, you buy like I mean, songs, the, yes, right? Yes. This, this um, question shows my age. Right. So like, but I'm thinking of like, um, and well, I would have a way to play it. Right. It wouldn't just be there teasing me, I guess. <laughs> right. No, you can listen to it. <laughs> okay. Cause like that would suck. I would rather have like something I don't want to listen to rather no, than something <laughs> Something I do want to listen to. No, you're allowed to listen to it. <laughs> okay. Um, you can just give, just give me an artist or a song too, if you want. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, well, I think uh, right now I'm super into the Lumineers, so I guess. Oh, I'd nice. And I, I, yeah, I really want to see them in concert again. We saw them before we saw U2, and I think they were actually. And bef- like I, I love U two, but I think that the Lumineers were actually better than U two when we saw them. I just don't think uh, Bono was like in a good spot with his voice that night. Or right, something. right. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I guess I'd want the Lumineers like that. I really like their, um, their music right now. Awesome. Um, yeah. Awesome. One food. Oh, almond butter. Oh, okay. You just put that on everything. Yeah. Big spoon almond butter Beautiful. for sure. Beautiful. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's that's probably and like I, hopefully I'd be able to find some like coconuts or bananas. But like, yeah, if, I, if there was one thing that I would want, it's yeah, that stuff is really good. One beer. I don't really drink, so yeah. Could I? All um, right, one drink then. One one liquid. Uh, coconut water. Uh, okay. Good. Yeah, I'm good super electrolyte. into it. Yeah. Awesome. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, this was really fun, and yeah, uh, congratulations cool, on everything this year. It's it's been awesome. What do you got coming up? Anything? Uh, where where are we gonna see you next? Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I've got uh, the Cherry Blossom Ten Miler this weekend. Sure. Uh, then the Boston Marathon next weekend, uh, and then the Big Sur Marathon after that, and then um, yeah, then I've got a couple other things after that. But yeah, those are the kind of next coming next couple things and then i think between boston and big sur uh i haven't told my friends yet but i've been wanting to run around the washington beltway and so like i'd like to uh i'd like to try to make that happen in the weekend in between so we'll see it cool and you've done the boston big sur a couple times before right yeah i'm actually i think i still have the record for the fastest combined time in those and so yeah there's a thing called boston to big sur and so like I try to do that as often as I can. I, I love both those events. Boston's what got me into running and Big Sur is a super special place to run. And yeah. I just love the, I love the team and organization out there. They're super cool. And yeah, anytime I get a chance to run that, I do. And actually this year, I, I think I'm going to be guiding a um, visually impaired athlete again. Um, oh, great. Like I've done that a couple times, mm-hmm. but it'll be a cool way to, you know, uh, experience Big Sur in a different manner and hopefully help somebody have a great day. Right, right. Well, good luck, Mike. Thanks so much for taking the time. And uh, we will hopefully I'll uh, I I may be down at JFK this year. So hopefully I'll run into you down there. Awesome, man. That'd be great. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks. everyone for listening. And until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. been faded like a good old pair of jeans Rusty like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain But long ago as a child I looked back the night sky in the wonderment Then ride the bus feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there I was still I was still